you would open your Bibles to John chapter 5, the Gospel of John chapter 5. You know, John is the uh, disciple who often referred to himself as the one to whom Jesus loved. You know, that's a, that's a great understanding of who he was in Christ. I hope we all feel that same way. Dr. Weldon's been on vacation this week, uh, but he's uh, uh, going to be back in the office starting uh, Tuesday, so we're glad to have him back. Uh, let's just continue to, to, to pray for him often. It's a wonderful privilege to get to serve alongside him and the rest of the, the staff here at the, the church. That being said, let's give our attention to John chapter 5, and remember, this is the Word of of God. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been on an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he is doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, And I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he is even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this portion of your glorious gospel, will you give us great wisdom? And will your spirit work in our hearts and minds and May we be renewed by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in uh, 2006, my family and I got to go to London for three weeks. There was a pastor in London that was going on a vacation, and he asked me if I would preach three Sundays for him, and we could stay in his house while he was gone. And that was an offer too good to pass up, so we were all over that. And we went to London and, and did a lot of sightseeing. Now, when we had been there for just the first few days, uh, I felt like I had pretty much understood all how to get around London, and we were trying to find some place uh, particular, and, and I told my family, 
We'll get on the tube here. We're going to get off at Marble Arch, and we'll be right where we need to be. And so they all followed along, and we got off right where I thought we needed to be, and we were lost. And as I was sitting there trying to figure out how I, how I did this, I was looking at my map and trying to figure out where we were and how we are going to get to where we needed to go. A fellow came up to us and said, what are you looking for? And I told him what we were looking for, and he said, oh, well, you need to get back on the tube. You need to go up to this stop. You get off, you go to your right. It's going to be right there. And, and as I thought about that, you know, he and I were coming from two different perspectives. I was new to the city. All I could really see when I came up out of the tube station was a lot of buildings and a lot of people, and I was kind of trying to figure out my way around. He, on the other hand, had been there for years and years and years, and he had a different perspective than I did. He had a kind of a bird's eye perspective of the city. And he knew exactly what it was that he was looking for and what I was looking for. And, and, and he was able to do that because he had the big picture of London in his brain. And I was wondering, do, do we live our lives with kind of the big picture in view? We're going to discover this morning that this man who's been healed at the pool missed out on the big picture. And often we miss out on the big picture. And God's word is the ultimate source to show us the big picture. Now some of you may have noticed as I was reading through our text this morning that, that, uh, that the English Standard Version, the New International Version, does not have a, a, a verse 4. Uh, our our uh, uh, oldest and most reliable manuscripts do not have uh, uh, verse 4. Verse 4 that's, that's, uh, uh, just was put in at some other point. It says something along the lines of uh, the angel or an angel of the Lord would come periodically and stir the waters and the first one into the waters uh, w- would be healed. But that, that's not in our most reliable manuscripts so we're not going to be considering that as scripture uh, this morning. But it doesn't really matter because the focus of this is not about the pool itself. The focus of, of this text is on Jesus, and that's who we will be focusing on this morning. For we must see things properly, and for us to really have a good understanding of this text, we must understand Jesus. Again, look at, at verse 2 with me. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. You know, as, I, as I was first working on this, one of the questions that popped in my head is to ask is, do any of you have any hurts in your life? And then I realized, what a silly question. All of us have something in our life on one level or another that hurts us from time to time. It could be physical pain, but it might be emotional or some other type of hurt that we're working through. You see, sin has left this world of ours broken. It's, it's cracked. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And, and here we get kind of the big picture of sin right here when we see these people at the pool, a multitude of people that are blind, 
that are lame, that are paralyzed, they certainly understand that we live in a fallen world with hurt and pain and brokenness. And, and, and then we see this man who, who's, who's crippled physically, and it certainly is symbolic of all of our hurting that we might go through in life. We see the effects of sin all the time in our world because, like I said, it's fallen, and we live in this fallen world. We might have pain in our bodies. We might have children that have gone astray. We might have marriages that are being held together by a thread. Some of us might think that we have an unfair teacher, or maybe some of us think we have an unfair boss. We might have friends that have betrayed us. Some of us even have loved ones that have died. There's all sorts of hurts and pain in this broken world that, that we work through on a daily basis. And, and, and sin's not just in the world, and the effects of sin are not just in the world. They're, they're inside of us. We say that we're sinful people. We are full of sin. Now, we don't like to admit that. That's not the, the fun thing to say is that, that we're, we're, we're sinful people, but it's true. I was talking to one of my coworkers this week, and, and, and they were saying that as they were coming to work, that they got stuck behind a tractor on Irmo Drive that was going four or five miles an hour, and, and there was no way to pass, and, and, and as they were waiting and waiting and just plodding along Irmo Drive, uh, they said, you know, I just I couldn't believe how upset I was getting because of this tractor. You know, why do we do that? Well, it's because we think so much of ourselves. You know, that's what it is. It, how dare we have to wait for somebody else to try to make a living? You know, it's, it's crazy. But that's, that's our sin natures that, that we're always fighting against. And we need to understand that. And knowing this about sin about the world and about who we are, the question gets asked over and over and over from everyone, from young to old, from every nationality to every race, men and women, children and grown-ups. Everybody asks the question, with all this sin and problems in the world, what is our hope? Is there any hope to be found? You know, there's a, there's a great need in our lives to realize that the power of sin is real and, 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 and it grips us and tries to destroy us and that the only hope to fight against this sin and the effects of sin and to get through this fallen world with its aches and pains is Jesus Christ. For us to have hope, we need to see our situation properly. I remember when I was in college, the first time I got eyeglasses. Uh, Wendy and I were dating at the time, and, and as we were headed back to the campus, I, I was amazed that I could see actual leaves and twigs on trees. They'd always just been kind of this green glob to me. But I could see things the way that they were meant to be seen that day for the, for the first time. And when we see sin for what it is, and Christ for who he is then we're able to, to say that we see things properly. Well, here we, we have Jesus 
having an encounter with, with this man here. And in verse 6, we read, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. So as we think about seeing things properly, the question is, how are we to see this Jesus? Well, one way we should see this Jesus is he is a man full of compassion. Here he comes into this place where there's blind and lame and crippled, and he has compassion on this one man especially. And, and he walks up to him and, and for the purpose of bringing him hope. So, so Jesus is full of compassion for his people. Jesus seeks out the broken and the hurting. He seeks you out and he seeks me out. And then Jesus asked him this when we read it, it might be considered a rather odd question. This man that, that Jesus knows has been a crippled for almost 40 years. He walks up to him and he says to him, Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? What kind of question is that? I mean, this guy has been a crippled for 38 years and Jesus says to him, Do you want to be healed? Well, it's not all that strange of a question as we're going to be looking at. In fact, the response is actually what's even more odd. When the man is asked, do you want to be healed? He doesn't say yes. He starts explaining right away why it is that he's not able to heal himself, why he's not able to, to, to do these things to bring about healing in his life. Well, Jesus already knows that he's not going to be able to do anything to fix his problem apart from Christ. The man has Jesus, the creator of the universe, standing in front of him, asking him, do you want to be healed? And, and, and instead of answering, yes, heal me, he's looking to his own broken self to try to find strength and to try to find healing. You see, we're the invalid here. We're the ones that, that are broken, that Christ comes to, and he says, do you want to be healed? And far too often, our response is to start trying to explain what it is that we can do to try to fix us. But there is no fixing us apart from Christ. In fact, the, the question better translated is not, do you want to be healed? It's, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? You see, what God touches, he, he, he alters. That, actually, that alters is probably way too soft of a word. What, 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 what God touches, he dramatically changes. And he permanently changes. And he permanently fixes what he touches. And, and the question for us this morning is, are you willing to, to be made whole? Are you willing for everything in your life 
to be changed by the touching of Jesus Christ. You see, when this man's legs were restored to him, that changes everything about who he is. He's no longer the invalid that lives down by the pool, that begs for money, that can't help himself. He's now walking about. He's, he's, the, he's the guy that Jesus has healed. He's different completely now because of his encounter with Jesus. Do you want Jesus to change your world? That's, that's really the, the question, isn't it? Do you have a desire to be healed each and every day from what ails you? Do you have a desire for your life to be turned upside down by Jesus? Because you can't have a little bit of a healing. You can't be made a little bit whole. Jesus is either going to make you whole or he's not. We live in a hurting world with sinful hearts, yet we see that there's a real opportunity for joy and for peace. There's a real opportunity for hope to be found. Let me give you a formula for joy and peace in your life. Christ's gospel, gospel plus Christ's mercy equals everything you need. Christ's gospel plus Christ's mercy equals everything you need. C-G plus C-M equals E-Y-N. One last observation about this first encounter that that Jesus has with this, this man. Despite the poor response that this fellow gives him, despite his, his blabbering on and not answering the question directly, Jesus shows compassion on this man and he heals him. See, we, even when we don't know exactly how to respond to Jesus, he intercedes on our behalf because he has compassion for his people. God Almighty has come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, and in him we can find hope. But as we read in, in, in this account here, that there is some unfinished business to be, had, to, to be taken care of. In verse 14, we read, uh, afterward, Jesus had found him in the temple. He was in the pool. Now the, the man is in the temple. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. All right, now when we first read that text, that that, that verse there, that can be a bit puzzling. You know, the the question is asked, well, is that saying that the man has been crippled for the last 38 years because of some sin in his life? And I would say, no, that's that's not what Jesus' point that he's making here. Uh, Jesus is not saying that, that... the sin has caused him to be crippled. What he's saying is actually, I think, much more profound. What he's saying is that for an unbeliever to be found outside of Jesus, there's something worse than to be crippled for 38 years, for a lifetime on this earth. 
To be apart from Jesus, there is something worse. And what keeps us apart from Jesus is our sin. And only Jesus can fix that for us. So it's a call to repentance. It's a call to holiness to this man. You know, usually in the Gospels, when we see Jesus heal somebody, he he usually says, uh, you know, get up, uh, sin no more. And and, and because the, the healing, the physical healing, is always associated with the spiritual healing. That's, that's the idea, is, is that Christ is, is meeting not just a temporal need, but he's meeting an everlasting need. Even in this case, Jesus was, was not content in, in just letting the man be healed physically, but he, Christ went seeking after him again to make sure that the man was going to be healed spiritually. You know, the reality of it is, everybody who Jesus ever healed in the New Testament eventually died. You know, their their ailments might have been fixed temporarily, but eventually they died. But it was Christ who was coming after them, showing them compassion and changing their hearts that was really making a difference for them. You know, this man was willing to settle for way too little, I think. He was willing to settle just to be healed from his paralysis after 40 years. And I think often we settle for way too little. Jesus didn't want to just fix this man's body. He wanted to fix his heart. He wanted to make him whole. And Christ wants to make us whole also. Notice here how Jesus seeks this man out for the purpose of restoring him and making him whole. If you realize God is doing that for you from time to time, and he's not just meeting your temporal needs, but he's in the process of making you whole, then you should rejoice because that means that you've caught a glimpse of the amazing grace of Jesus being poured into your life, that he's shaping you into being the person that he wants you to be, that he is making you whole. See, this man's life was changed forever, not in his first encounter with Jesus. All he got back was the ability to walk. He was changed forever in his second encounter with Jesus, when Jesus made him whole. So what do we want from Jesus? What do you want from your Messiah. You ask him just for an easier life? You ask him for more things? Or do you want far more from Jesus than just temporal blessings? How often do you pray that your heart would be ruled by Jesus and Jesus alone? And that Jesus would go about the business of destroying the idols that are in your heart, no matter how painful that might be. You know, one of our great theologians from centuries and centuries ago was Augustine. And, and, and early on, he prayed, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. You know, what a sad thing. You know, Lord, I know there's more for me. I know that you can make me whole, but 
don't do it yet. I, I still have some sins that I want to, to sow first. Obviously, Augustine eventually repented from that poor theology. How much do you live with the idea that sin is the biggest dilemma in your life and overcoming sin is your greatest need and that Jesus Christ is your only hope in overcoming your sin? Does the gospel shape the way that you think about your needs each and every day? Or do you waste your time worrying about how much money you might have in your bank account or wasting your time trying to make yourself look better in the eyes of others or worrying about who likes you or maybe who doesn't like you, worrying about things that you cannot control instead of worrying about have I offended the holy, holy, holy God of the universe that our choir was singing about earlier today. What truly owns the desires of your heart? The way we answer this question of what really owns the desire of our hearts will no doubt shape how we might respond to Jesus. And we see here the, the rest of our chapter, and for time's sake, I, I won't read 10 through 18 again, but, but we, we see here two different responses from people. We see, first, the man, after his second encounter, where, where Jesus deals with his heart. He goes and he tells others about Jesus. He goes and he says, it's Jesus who healed me. It's Jesus who made me whole. He goes back to the Jewish community to let them know that Jesus is the one that fixes our lives. Jesus is the one that makes us whole. It's, it's his response to go and tell others. And we're told throughout Scripture that should be our response. It's to go and tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who has made me whole. Let me tell you about him. So that's one way we respond to an encounter with Jesus. The other way is we see how the Jewish community responded here in this case, where the man came and he said, it's Jesus that made me whole. Well, you know, you'd think that the first thing that they'd say is, hey, you're, you're that guy that's been uh, laying there for the last four decades. This is amazing. This is good news. But what's the first thing that they say to him in verse 10? He says, it's the Sabbath. What are you doing carrying your mat? They're immediately opposing the things of Jesus. And that's to be expected. People that are not changed by Jesus are going to object to the way that Jesus changes lives. This fellow probably knew that, but that wasn't slowing him down. He was going to go tell that it was Jesus that made him whole. You know, Jesus' ways will always be looked at by others as being different, at least being wrong sometimes and being absolutely ridiculous at other times. But 
those of us that have been made whole by Jesus have a responsibility to tell the good news of the gospel to others. An encounter with Jesus is life-altering. It's life-changing. For, as Mark was singing earlier, there truly is a bomb in Gilead. The, the amazing grace of Jesus changes everything about a person's life. It should look as different as, as a person who has been lame for four decades, getting up and walking. When Jesus makes us whole, our crippled hearts are healed. Our blind eyes can see. An encounter with Jesus will give us a proper perspective on our lives. Not, not like my perspective when I got out of that tube station that day in London. I couldn't find my way around. But, but the proper perspective of how we are to live our lives. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be healed? Let's pray together.